prophecies foretell a union of politics and religion will rule the world in the end time. The May 6th coronation of King Charles III will display a true union of church and state, and you'll watch it as well as I. We will analyze this upcoming event from a prophetic perspective on this edition of The End Time Show. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. Now, I know what everybody's saying. Oh, here we go. Dave's going to say King Charles is the Antichrist. Well, before I begin anything, I want to make sure you understand I am not saying King Charles III is the Antichrist. I just want you to be aware of what is going on in the world and what to keep an eye on in the future. Is there a possibility he could be the Antichrist? Sure, there is. He's from Europe. He's, he's, a, he's a, definitely a political leader. And there is an alliance of religion that is along with him. Now, it's not necessarily the Roman Catholic religion, but still there's a union of politics and religion. So it's something we need to watch for in the future. Now, I want to begin with the coronation of... Charlemagne. That's how I want to begin the program today. As the first emperor of the Holy Roman Empire to be able to tie in the coronation of King Charles III. Because you're going to watch that here, uh, what would the sixth be next weekend sometime, I guess. So I went to the Britannica and it says this, and, I'm, and I'm, I pulled a quote from there. In Rome, <clears throat> the hostile nobility exploited the opportunity to attack Pope Leo III. Now this was back in 798-799 AD. Okay. Well, Pope Leo III, who in 799 fled across the Alps to his protector, Charlemagne. Now, he didn't look to God for his protection. When he was in trouble from Rome, he went to Charlemagne, his protector, who was a Germanic king. Well, that was at uh, Paderborn. Though unfavorably impressed by the Pope, Charlemagne was persuaded by Alcuin to send him back to Rome with a commission which deemed the complaints against him false and arrested and deported his accusers. The situation, however, was still uncertain. In view of the plight of both the Pope and the Byzantine Emperor, the whole salvation of the Church of Christ. I'm quoting now from the Britannica. The whole salvation of the Church of Christ rested on, so Alcuin wrote, in Charlemagne's hands. He was the political leader here, folks. And in the autumn of 800 A.D., he set out for Rome to restore the state of the Church, which great, was greatly disturbed. On December 23rd, Pope Leo III solemnly purged himself of charges that were against him. Two days later, this was Christmas Day, December 25th, at a large gathering in St. Peter's, where the Pope Leo III was to consecrate Charlemagne's son as king. 
Suddenly, as Charlemagne rose from prayer, Pope Leo III placed a crown on his head, and while the assembled Romans acclaimed him as Augustus and Emperor, the Pope abased himself before Charlemagne, adoring him and after the manner of the emperors of old. So, with that said, this was the coronation of Charlemagne, the first emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And the coronation of Charlemagne by Pope Leo III is very prophetic in that it was the beginning of the, the prophesied Holy Roman Empire. It was a true union of church and state, a, a prophesied in many places in Scripture, and the end-time world government, which is prophesied again, will be an alliance of politics and religion. Now, I said all that to say this. How does all this correlate with the coronation of King Charles III? Well, the coronation of King Charles III, I should say, will be an example of a true modern-day union of church and state. And that's why I wanted to do this program today. Because I want to make sure you understand <clears throat> that we're watching this happen, but in the very near future, there is going to be the most powerful political leader of Europe in a complete alliance with, a complete uh, union, a, 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 an arrangement here of politics and religion, and that's going to be the Antichrist and the false prophet. So, Charlemagne will go through the coronation of King Charles III, and then we'll talk about the prophecies of the end-time world government, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and we'll tie it all together before the end of the program. Now, this coronation of King Charles III, Westminster Abbey states, and I, I want you to get this here, it says, whilst the crowning of a new monarch may be the best known highlight. A monarch, basically a king. Whilst the crowning of the new king may be the best known highlight. This is what you're going to watch over the next week. They've, they're starting. It's so much pomp and circumstance. There will be celebrities, uh, different leaders of countries. I mean, just the, the who's who in the world of anybody. They'll be there. And you'll watch all this over the week, this, to this week. Some of them are calling it a holy week. Are going into um, the coronation here. Now, they say whilst the crowning of this new king may be the best known highlight, a coronation service is actually a religious ceremony which takes place during Holy Communion. So what we're going to see here over this next week and culminating on May 6th is this union of politics and religion. Because we're going to find out here in just a moment that King Charles III is the most powerful political leader. He's the king, but he's also the head of the church. And it's going to be this union of politics and religion. This union of politics and religion, again, is prophesied over and over and over in the end time Bible prophecies. And we're going to see that as we go along here. And you're, what you're doing is over this week you will see a modern day version of this. 
And there's going to be a time in just the very near future where we will see a union of politics and religion that will be the Antichrist and the false prophet. And I want you to be aware of what's going on this week. Because it's going to be on every news source, in every magazine, up on the front of every newspaper. And so I want you to understand what you are truly watching here. Again, I'm not saying that, po that um, King Charles is the Antichrist, but what we're watching is something that will keep us in mind of what's coming in the near future with the Antichrist and the false prophet. So we need to watch it because it's very important and it has to do with Europe and Great Britain, which is prophesied to be part of the world government in the end time. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. All right, everybody. So <clears throat> this crowning of the king, this union of politics and religion, so again, back to Westminster Abbey, because I want to make sure you get this. They state that whilst the crowning of the, a new monarch may be the, the best known highlight here of the week, a coronation service is actually a religious ceremony which takes place during Holy Communion. The most important and most holy part of the ceremony is, get this now, the anointing. Now again, what are we talking about here? The union of church and state. So the anointing of King Charles III. This is where the Archbishop of Canterbury makes a cross with holy oil on the royal forehead and elsewhere on the body to show that the monarch or the king has been chosen by God. Now this is what they believe, okay? This is not me saying this. I'm reading from Westminster Abbey here. They believe that King Charles has been chosen through all the bloodlines to be 
the king of Great Britain now. So the um, labor regalis shows us a Christian order of service that has been used for many hundreds of years. So the monarch or king is the supreme governor of, um, or I should say England, the supreme governor of the Church of England, and he is crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, the same church's leading primate. So the king here is the governor of the church. You understand? So imagine being in the church. The guy you're paying taxes to is over your church. And I know, I, I know, I know we don't have that here in the United States, but still... It's unique that the guy that's over the government is also over the church. It's a total union of politics and religion, of church and state, which is very prophetic, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Now, the BBC News, it states that the public will be given an active role in the ceremony for the first time with people around the world set to be asked, listen closely, to cry out and swear allegiance to the king. Now, if you're here in the United States of America, could you swear allegiance to a king in 2023? No, I couldn't. No way. I have a king that I swear allegiance to, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But there will be people literally all over the world that swear allegiance to King Charles III. Now, it goes on to say here from the BBC, this homage of the people, or a, a pledge of allegiance, replaces the traditional homage of peers, where hereditary peers swear allegiance to the new king. Instead, everyone in the abbey and watching at home will be invited to pay homage in what Lambeth Palace described as a chorus of millions. Now, back when Queen Elizabeth, when her coronation took place, there, were no, there was no internet. I mean, there, it was just like, imagine the access the king will have now. He'll have access to people all over the world. So the order of service will read, All who so desire, in the abbey and elsewhere, say together, I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty, the king, and your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. It will be uh, followed by the playing of a fanfare, and um, the Archbishop of Canterbury will then proclaim, God save the king, uh, with all asked to respond. God save King Charles, long live King Charles, may the king live forever. A spokesman for Lambeth Palace, the, the Archbishop's office, said the homage of people is particularly exciting because that's brand new. That's something that we can share in because of technological advances. People all over the world, rather than people right there in the Abbey. So, not just the people, but um, the people who are online, on television, all those who are listening, who are gathered in parks with big screens and in churches all over the world that they can pledge allegiance to the king. Whether you're in Canada or uh, Australia or wherever the king's uh, people are. Now, they say, and I'm quoting, our hope is that is at that point 
of the ceremony, this coronation, when the archbishop invites people to join in, that people, wherever they are, if they're watching at their home, whether they're watching on a television, and they will say it out loud, this sense of a great cry around the nation and around the world of support for the king. Now, think about this, everybody. There will come a time. Uh, now, again, let me, let me start off with this here. I'm not saying that King Charles III is the Antichrist. Absolutely. Uh, it's, not, it's not time for him to be revealed. And so I, I'm not saying that at this point. However, there will be a time in the not-so-distant future. Now, this, is, this with uh, King Charles III will happen this week. There will be people all over the world that pledge allegiance to the king. There will be a time in the not-so-distant future when a religious figure... Now, you understand, this is the um, uh, Bishop of Canterbury here that's giving the plea for everybody to pledge allegiance to the king. It's the religious figure imploring everybody to pledge allegiance to the political figure. Okay? Well, there will be a time in the not-so-distant future when, the Bible tells us this, Revelation chapter 13, when a religious figure will anoint a political figure. This is what's going to happen here. The Archbishop of Canterbury is going to anoint. That's why I read it before. It says that the um, crowning of the monarch, even though that's the most highlighted portion, one of the most important times of this coronation is the anointing of the king as a God-chosen individual to lead England. Now, there will be a time in the not-so-distant future when another religious figure, who will be the false prophet, will anoint a political figure who will be the Antichrist as the number, or as the answer, I should say, to all wor the world's problems and to demand a Pledge of Allegiance. And when I say demand, they will go to great lengths. At this point, because of the religious situation and different things in England, that for a, not everyone is going to pledge allegiance to the king. They've got uh, Buddhists and Muslims and Sikhs and people that are in the country. They're not going to pledge allegiance to the king. However, there will be people that are, caught up, that are in the church of the king and different people that are around in England and Australia and Canada and different places where the king and them own property, that they will pledge allegiance to them. But I, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to understand that there's coming a time in the near future when it will be done by, there's going to be another religious figure, and it's going to be a pope of the Roman Catholic Church. He will endorse a religious figure who will be the most powerful religious figure in Europe. He will endorse him as this world leader. And this is going to be global. This is not just going to be European. This is going to be a global scale. He's going to be the leader of the world government. But the power base will come from Europe. And that's why I wanted to spend so much time here today because we're kind of seeing a, 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 um, almost a, a precursor to this right now. You're going to see it this week. There will be, I've been reading up on some of this, 
there is going to be pomp and circumstance like many of you have never seen. You think about a, 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 a royal wedding or something like that. No, none of that. No, no royal weddings, none of that compares to the pomp and circumstance that you will see at the crowning and the coronation of a new king of England, folks. And so, but it's, it's a union of politics and religion. That's the most important thing. And this happens in many places in Europe. They're very used to this. And that's why I wanted to start out with the coronation, the crowning of a, the most powerful political figure in Europe, the most powerful religious figure from Rome, which was the Pope. It was a coronation. It started the rebirth of the Holy Roman, or I'm sorry, it started the, the, the Holy Roman Empire in 800 A.D. It's very prophetic. Now, when we get to this uh, demand for a Pledge of Allegiance, let's talk about the one that's coming in the near future, and this will help you, one of the ways it will help you prophetically, why I wanted to even talk about the coronation of King Charles III this week and on today's program. Revelation 13, 11 through 17. This is what's going to happen. So Re Revelation 13, um, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. It prophesies about the end time world government and the leader of that, the Antichrist. Then in verse 11 here, it says, And I beheld another beast. Now the first beast was the Antichrist and the world governing body. John said, I beheld another beast come up, out of the, come up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, spake like a dragon. Now this is going to be a religious figure. Um, and the Bible says, And he will exercise all the power of the first beast before him, where did the first beast get its power? From Satan himself. The Bible says the dragon or Satan give it its seat, power, and its great authority. It's Revelation 13, 2. So, the Bible says this, this religious figure that John saw come up in Revelation 13, 12, the Bible says he exercises all of the power of the first beast before him. So he's going to be a religious figure, but he's not going to be a true Christian. He's, he's going to be of Satan. He's going to, the Bible says, and he call, he, um, what's his goal? He causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, the Bible says that um, in Revelation chapter 11 that he has, uh, he's, he has, uh, looks like a lamb, but he speaks like the dragon. And then in verse 13 it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he, may, he makes fire come down from heaven on the, side, uh, on the earth and in the sight of men. He deceiveth them that dwell upon the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of men, or in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and to cause that as many as would not worship the beast. Now here's the deal. He is going to demand that people on the earth pledge allegiance to the Antichrist and his world governing system. Look at what the Archbishop of Canterbury is doing for King Charles III. He is going to make a plea globally that everybody pledge allegiance to King Charles III. Now, he's saying it's a voluntary thing. 
But when the false prophet comes on the scene, it's not going to be a voluntary thing. The Bible says that the false prophet will cause that as many... I'm in Revelation 13, 15. The Bible says, "...and cause that as many as would not worship or pledge allegiance to the image of the beast should be killed." It's, not, it's going to be compulsory, 100%. There's not going to be any choice. Pledge allegiance to this political figure who he will deem to be a man of God. This is exactly what's happening with King Charles III. Now again, I'm not saying King Charles III uh, is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're, we will watch something that is kind of almost a mirror image of what will happen at the future on a much grander scale and people will be, it will be compulsory. It's not going to be voluntary. But I want you to be aware of what's going on in the earth because people are getting used to pledging allegiance to a human being. Now, Revelation 13, 16, the Bible says, and, they'll, and he'll cause, how far will he go to get people to pledge allegiance or to worship or, or bow down to this political figure? The Bible says he'll cause all, both small and great, uh, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand and their forehead, and that no man by, by or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. If you notice the word worshipped or worship in Revelation chapter 13, is mentioned, I think, five times. So the whole goal is to get people to, for the religious figure, will be to get people to pledge allegiance to the political figure. And look at, as you watch this week, the coronation of King Charles III, that's exactly what's going to happen. It will be pomp and circumstance. But if you read the articles very, in very great detail, they say that even though the crowning of the king is the most highlighted portion of this week, one of the most important things is the anointing and the pledge of allegiance that will come from the people around the world to the king. Because if people don't pledge allegiance to him, he's nothing, right? And, but it's the strength of the people. And so... This is what the Antichrist and the false prophet, this is going to be their game as well. And you understand the king, that's what we as Americans came out from under, King George. We came out from under that and we wanted to be free to worship whoever we want. Maybe these people don't want to worship the, the uh, religion of King Charles III. And so we came out from under that because we wanted to be free to worship whoever. And so it's very important that we understand the, um, the correlation of these things and how everything's going because people in Europe are getting used to pledging allegiance to a king and, and there being a union of politics and religion. The Holy Roman Empire was established originally by a coronation, the coronation of Charlemagne. It's always been about a union of politics and religion. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part Two, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. 
call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. You know, everybody, when we talk about this, uh, the word worship or pledge of allegiance in this coronation with King Charles III uh, in this, uh, of this global plea for everybody to pledge allegiance or to, um, I wouldn't say worship, but it's going to be a pledge of allegiance. There's so many articles on this right now. And I've got people sending me things saying, Dave, check this out, man. They're trying to get everybody to pledge allegiance to King Charles III. Believe me, I've read so many articles on it. But when you look at Revelation 13 here, what the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to do, the original Greek word for worship in Revelation 13 <clears throat> is proskeneho, which means a kneeling or to do homage or a formal public acknowledgement of feudal allegiance. This is exactly, it's called the, the, in, uh, the coronation of King Charles III. They call it the homage of the people. That's exactly the, the same thing that's going on here in Revelation 13. It's a, a, a homage or a formal public acknowledgement of feudal allegiance. This is what people are going to do this week when the call goes out from the Archbishop of Canterbury for everybody to pledge allegiance. You'll probably watch it on the internet or on TV or read about it. And this is exactly what Revelation 13 says is going to happen with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And when you see it, then you can say, oh my, I remember what Dave Robbins said on the End Time show back there. He was warning us. That's something you should never do. And so I, I'm, you know, I want to make sure we warn everybody and make sure nobody ever does this stuff. Now, the prophecy concerning the rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire it's one of the most critical prophecies in the entire Bible. The rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire actually happened on November 3rd, 2009. And its fulfillment was one of the most, the five most important prophetic fulfillments in the last 2,000 years. One reason this prophecy is so important is because the Antichrist and the false prophet, these two leaders, the, uh, the, the union of politics and religion, will both come out of this reborn Holy Roman Empire. That's so important that we watch the coronation and different things that happen with King Charles III this week. We'll see many things that are, that are a result of the union of politics and religion, and it all started back with Charlemagne. That's why it's not called the Roman Empire. 
It's called the Holy Roman Empire, a union of church and state. The Archbishop of Canterbury, King Charles III, the crowning of a king, but the anointing of the so-called, quote-unquote, man of God who's over the Church of England. The union of church and state, everybody. So, the Holy Roman Empire, that prophecy is really given two different times in Scripture. The first account is back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 45. Now, at the time that was written, Israel was under Babylonian captivity. A lot of you all probably know this story, but if not, the, you remember the Jewish people had been sent into exile for 70 years because of their disobedience to God. Read the book of Jeremiah. tells the story. Daniel and the three Hebrew children were among the first to go down into captivity. Daniel said, hey, go willingly, I'll bless you in your captivity. Captivity, And they absolutely did that. Because of their ability and their um, exceptional intelligence, they were quickly placed into leadership positions. Daniel became one of the spiritual advisors to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And Babylon ruled the entire world during that time. Now, one night, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream. And when he awoke from the dream, or when he awakened uh, the next morning, he knew that he had dreamed a very unusual dream, but he couldn't remember the dream. Have you ever done that? Like, man, what did I... It was killing me. It was very vivid at the time, but I can't remember. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. So he demanded that his wise men tell him the dream. And, and what was, I want you to tell me the dream and what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry because they said, well, we, nobody's ever asked this of us. I mean, tell us your dream, we'll tell you the meaning. And he said, I don't remember the dream. I want you to tell me. Well, they couldn't. So Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that he ordered them all killed. All the wise men, all of them, the, the, the soothsayers, the magicians, off with your head. In, in the whole kingdom. Well, Daniel was one of them. So when Daniel heard about the king's dream... Um, and, and his order to destroy all the wise men in his realm, he, he, asked the, um, he requested time from Arioch, who was the king's captain. And he said, hey, let me tell the king his dream. I, 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 you know, I, I think I can help with this. So Daniel and the three Hebrew children, they prayed and fasted, asked God to reveal the king's dream. Well, that night, God showed, he did in fact show Daniel in a dream what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, and what it meant. So he saved a lot of guys' lives, didn't he? didn't he? So the next day, Daniel was ushered into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel told the king that he could not, um, he didn't know or could interpret the dream himself. However, he did serve a God who reveals the secrets of men's hearts, and that he could in fact re reveal the dream. Well, so then Daniel proceeds to tell the king what God had showed him. He said, You, O king, were watching. And behold, a great, this great image. The great image was splendor, and it was excellent. It stood before you. And its form was awesome. And picture the statue of a, a man standing here. He said the, the image was ahead of fine gold, chest, arms and breast of, of silver, belly and thighs of brass, 
Legs of iron, feet of iron mingle with clay. You watched, O king, while a stone was cut out without hands, which uh, struck the image on the feet of iron with clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed together. This image of world government, okay? For the last 25, 2600 years, all of those empires, the, all, the, the ideology of this world government gone. And they were crushed together and it became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried the chaff away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image uh, became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Now, do you guys understand that? Well, Daniel's going to help us with that. Daniel revealed the dream. And as he did that, the king's memory was refreshed. Oh man, Daniel, that was it. And he remembered the dream just as Daniel described it. Then the king wanted to know the meaning. And Daniel's interpretation of the dream is recorded in Daniel 7 verses uh, 37 through 45. <clears throat> Daniel said, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the, king, the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field and the birds of heaven, he's given them in your hand. And he has given you, he's made you ruler over all. And you, on this statue of this dream you saw, you're the head of gold. It represents your world empire, the Babylonian empire. But here's the deal. After you is going to arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Now remember, he's describing this image of this man that stood there, this big image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. He said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're a Babylonian kingdom. You're the head of gold. But after you go off the scene, there's going to arise another kingdom. It's going to be inferior to yours. And then another, a third kingdom of brass, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and it shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom is going to break in pieces. It's going to crush others. And then you saw the feet and toes, uh, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided. And yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now, we're going to get into politics and religion here. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they're going to mingle with the seed of men, but they're going to not adhere with one another, just as iron doesn't mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall never not be left to other people and it's going to break in pieces and it's going to consume all of these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke the pieces of iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that it will come to pass after this this dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's just staring at Daniel. Oh my goodness. That's absolutely true, Daniel. 
I remember the dream. Now you give me the interpretation. I believe every word you've just said. Now, if you think about it, these empires referred to in this dream were not just any empires. And you can go back historically and prove all this. They were the five empires that would dominate the entire world from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until God's return to establish His kingdom here on the earth. You notice that Daniel 2.39 says, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze. Here it is, listen closely. Which shall rule over all the earth. So the, the prophecy explicitly tells us that Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian kingdom was the head of gold. The last king to rule over Babylon was Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Well, during the night of his impious feast, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon, and they overthrew the kingdom of Babylon and ruled the entire world from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. The head of gold was Babylon. The arms and breasts of silver represented the Medes and the Persians. Then in 331 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered the empire of the Medes and the Persians. This began the Grecian Empire. Greece ruled from uh, 331 to 197 B.C. And so the belly and thighs of brass on the statue, remember of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, that represented the Grecian Empire under um, Alexander the Great. In 146, the Romans defeated the Grecians and began their reign. And the legs of iron symbolized, on the Nebuchadnezzar's vision, the Roman Empire. It was the strongest empire, lasted the longest. Uh, the, Romans, the Roman Empire uh, ruled from almost, almost, I say, uh, 200 B.C., almost, to uh, until around... 284 A.D., somewhere in there. Not, not, not quite 500 years, not quite. Um, and the Romans were in power during the time of Jesus Christ. That's what Roman soldiers at His crucifixion. That was why He was taken before a Roman judge, Pontius Pilate, because Rome ruled the entire world. They had occupying forces in Jerusalem when Jesus was there. But notice, very, uh, very important here. As we move from one segment of the statue to the next, the metals change. It changes from gold to silver, silver to um, brass, iron, and iron until the last segment. And the last segment is what we want to talk about in the last segment of this edition of the End Time Show, because this is what's going to talk about the, the um, politics and religion, the union of church and state in the last days. This is the last empire. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, 
please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Okay, now this last segment is really why I wanted to talk about Charlie Mang, the reborn Holy Roman Empire, and the coronation of King Charles III. I want you to understand this, very important, because the union of church and state, politics and religion, is what's going to be in power and run the world at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? We're watching an example of this this week. Now, again, I'm not saying King Charles III is the Antichrist. Don't go away saying that because that's not what I'm saying today. But I'm saying I want you to watch this week of what happens, this union of politics and religion, church and state, because there will come a time in the near future when the false prophet will crown or will suggest that this individual, this political leader from Europe, is the ultimate union. It will be the ultimate union of church and state that he, the, the religious leader, will actually say that this individual is going to be a, an act of God, a, uh, a Messiah, if you will, and cause the world to worship him or to pledge allegiance to him, a political figure. You say, there's no way anybody would ever do that. You're going to see it happen this week, folks, with the coronation of King Charles III, a religious individual. The Archbishop of Canterbury will anoint this political figure, the monarch or the king, as a God-sent individual. It's going to happen again in the near future, but it's going to be the false prophet and the Antichrist. Now, on Nebuchadnezzar's stature, statue, when we move from the uh, legs of iron to feet of iron mingled with clay, the iron carries over into the last part of the image, the feet here. This indicates that the last empire will not be a Roman empire, but it's going to be related to the Roman empire. The Roman element continued from 300 AD until 800 AD, and in 800 AD, the Holy Roman Empire was born. The Holy Roman, the Roman Empire was a uh, a secular empire, but the Holy Roman Empire was, was and has always been an alliance of church and state, a, a union of politics and religion. The Holy Roman Empire was born again December 25th, 800 AD, when Pope Leo III placed a crown on the head of Charlemagne at his coronation, and he announced that he was now the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Not just a secular empire, but an empire of church and state. You're going to see a coronation of King Charles III, which is a union of church and state. This week, the depiction of the feet of iron mingled with clay, it really symbolizes the Roman element, the iron that was carried over through, um, what would that be, the Byzantine Empire, over into the Holy Roman Empire. And then, um, so the Roman elements, the iron, 
the religious element is the clay. So, in an amazing fulfillment of the, of the prophecy, the Holy Roman Empire was reborn November 3, 2009, when 28 members of the European Union signed a European constitution called the Treaty of Lisbon, the Lisbon Treaty. The, the Holy Roman Empire was defeated when uh, it ruled from 800 A.D. to 1806 A.D. when King Francis II was defeated by Napoleon. And so it was defeated. Well, a lot of people thought, well, that's the end of the Holy Roman Empire. Well, it was reborn in 2009 when those 28 member nations of the European Union signed the Lisbon Treaty. That brought them all back together. Go do some research on that. We've got DVDs and different things on that. It's lesson um, 7 of our Understand the End Time. And that's another thing. Our Understand the End Time DVDs are getting rolled out, believe it or not. It's brand new. It's a gigantic project. A book is coming out with them. And you can pre-order them. Go to 1-800-END-TIME uh, and pre-order those right now. They're, they're going to be shipped in June. That's the goal. And so uh, we're finishing up the book right now. Everything, we're rolling on the whole thing. So very, very important. Go to endtime.com slash ABC to pre-order. You can get all kinds of neat things. There's $350 in bonus items. Uh, we're going to have a Zoom conference with me and uh, and all of you that pre-order, it's going to be really cool. So go there and check it out. Wow, that was a pretty cool commercial, wasn't it? I didn't even plan on that. However, you can go there and check it out. Lesson 7 goes all through all this in great detail. At the helm of the church and state, uh, this union will be two leaders. Now this is at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, at the beginning of the Holy Roman Empire, Charlemagne and Pope Leo III. That's the way it's going to end up. During the end time, two leaders, the Antichrist, the most powerful political leader from Europe, and the false prophet, the most powerful religious leader from Rome, will rule this revived Holy Roman Empire. The Antichrist is this um, coming one world dictator, uh, that he's going to be the world, one world government dictator, and he's going to be alive. He is alive right now, waiting to be revealed. He's referred to by many names in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4 refers to him as the man of sin, the son of perdition. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. It's referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ, except there come a fall, uh, comes a falling away first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, so that he is worshipped, there's that word again, and so that um, he is, he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 refers to him as that wicked. It says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord God shall consume with the spirit uh, of his mouth and shall destroy the, with the brightness of his coming. That happens in, at the time of the Battle of Armageddon. There is another account of that in Revelation 19.20. And back in uh, Daniel chapter uh, 7, the Bible talks about him being cast into the lake of fire as well when the Ancient of Days comes. Daniel 7, 8 calls the Antichrist the little horn. It says, um, Daniel said, I consider the, the horns, this ten-nation union that will form an alliance with the Antichrist, and behold, there come up among them a, another little horn, before whom there were three of the, of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Daniel 7, 21-22 continues and says, The little horn 
will make war against the saints until the Ancient of Days comes. And we know the little horn is referring to the Antichrist because other passages tell us this is exactly what the Antichrist will do. Uh, back in Revelation 17, it talks about it as well. Revelation 13, 7 says, And it was given unto him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So he's also referred to as the beast in Revelation chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given to him to continue 42 months, or three and a half years. So in our present day, this coming ruler is called by the name Antichrist. If you look in First, uh, uh, I'm sorry, First John two, eighteen. It's uh, it says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, the Antichrist singular shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists, plural. So there's a it differentiates between them, the the Antichrist and but now there's many Antichrists, plural. Whereby ye know that is it's the last time. So there are some who actually claim the Antichrist is not in the Bible. The, that the word Antichrist, I should say, is not in the Bible. But as you can see right here in 1 John 2.18, there, there that's not the case. John understood that there was an individual ruler, the Antichrist. John also said that there are many Antichrists, plural. He said this because there were many people in that time who had the spirit of Antichrist, who were claiming to be Christ. And the end time Antichrist will do just that. John said there are many Antichrists in the world, but there will be a singular ruler and Antichrist that will come. Antichrist means uh, against Christ. To be against is, to be anti is to be against. And it also means in the place of Christ. And But along with the emergence of this Antichrist figure, the political figure from Europe, on the world stage, there's going to be a religious partner that will promote him. The most powerful religious leader on the earth will have two objectives. He's going to unite the religions of the world under this one belief system of tolerance, this global ethic, which has already been written, by the way. Go to um, the, world's parliament, the Parliament of World's Religions website. You can read the global ethic. It was written by Hans Kung. K-U-N-G, years ago. And then he will also, this religious leader is also going to use his pious position to influence all adherents to align with and pledge allegiance to the Antichrist prophesied end time world government. So Revelation 13, 1 through 8 describes the world government and its leader, the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 11 through 15 describes the religious partner of the world dictator, which will be called the false prophet. And of course, the false prophet, he, he's going to be probably, I mean, he will be the most famous and well-liked religious leader on the planet. And he's going to use his religious influence to convince the world that this world government and the new world order is good and that the new world um, dictator is a gift from God. Now, Let's jump back to the coronation of King Charles III. 
the Archbishop of Canterbury is going to make a plea on internet, television, wherever people are watching and listening to have them make a pledge of allegiance to King Charles III. Isn't this kind of like a, 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 a foreshadowing of what's coming? You had Charlemagne was at his coronation. He was crowned the first emperor of the Holy Roman Empire by Pope Leo III. Now this week, you're going to have King Charles III at his coronation. He's going to be crowned and anointed the, 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 the King of England. King Charles III, and he's going to be anointed as this quote-unquote God-sent individual. And then in the near future, you're going to have a religious figure anoint a, another political figure, and that's what's going to rule the world government and the world religious system all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's talked about over and over in the Bible, and we've seen it happen more than once. 800 A.D., it's going to happen this week, and then it's going to happen again in the near future. So I want us to understand and know what to watch for. Because it's not, it's, if we understand the Bible prophecies, it's not going to take us by surprise. We're going to be on the radio and television saying, Oh my gosh, folks, look at what's happening. This Antichrist, he's the guy. This false prophet, he's the one mentioned in the Bible. Don't pledge allegiance to this individual. Don't follow him. Don't take his mark. Because he is going to lead people straight to hell. And that's, you don't want to be a part of that. I want to go to heaven. I want everybody under our influence and, and people that we teach and talk to every day to go to heaven too. And so we'll be pointing him out. He's going to be revealed at a certain time and we'll make sure that you know who he is.